0: Reset rebel. It's the reset rebel. It's the reset rebel. It's the reset rebel. Coming to you every day.
1: Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And today's episode um, is actually set in a very beautiful little coffee spot um, on Santillaria main seafront. We are directly opposite uh, the beautiful fountain, one of my favourite features in this neck of the woods. You might be able to hear the rustle of uh, coffee machines and spoons and Cups and plates during the course of this show, um, but we're sitting in the Passion Cafe um, and we're actually directly opposite the electric recharge uh, machine for the electric cars on the island, which I don't know how many they are, but we're about to find out because the lady we are talking to on today's show is, of course, Sandra Benbeniste from the Ibiza Preservation Fund. Welcome. Hello. Good morning. Sandra it's so lovely I mean thank you first of all that you've actually made the wonderful effort at 10am on a (laughs) Friday morning to come all the way across the island and join us here I'm really grateful for that but um, first of all how are you doing I haven't seen you for a whole year
0: well it's a very special year uh, but I would say that it's challenging and it does give us opportunities to do very special things I love your positivity. Yes, there's
1: always a kind of uh, a way to reframe. That's my kind of favorite phrase at the moment to, you know, just kind of trying to take a little positive spin on things when things get challenging or a little bit tricky in this current situation. Um, there's always a yeah a moment to take a breath and a step back and sort of look at it from another angle.
0: Well, COVID, the coronavirus, has given us the opportunity to, to really rethink about things. And, and one of the questions I've been asked a lot these days is, uh, why during the virus the environment was amazingly beautiful and what can we do to to, to keep that beauty. I think really people have realized that we're fragile and that uh, we not only have this virus that is <laughs> maybe staying for a while but also climate change and so many other threats and so we're really thinking that as humans we want sustainability and we want to take care of the environment. So I think it is a good moment for all of us to rethink sustainability.
1: It was unprecedented, the, the colour of the water, the uh, levels of nature that we were seeing resurging into more kind of urban environments. I feel like, you know, that lack of people out on the streets, out and about, in their cars, um, no boats, you know, none of the usual kind of tourism infiltration that we see at this time of the year was a, had a massive impact. I mean, apart from the obvious things, like what were the big kind of upsides for preservation of the island? Of course the quality
0: of the water uh, and, and and i think it's it's been uh, it's been very interesting because we've realized that when we have no pressure the environment recovers fast so really the quality of the water was amazing the quality of the air because we're not having cars as you were saying but the issue is because it, it's also a bit dangerous to associate beautiful environment with no humans and then the opposite is humans awful environment and we do have to try to really build an equation where you have beautiful environment and conscious humans (laughs) at the same time because we do want tourism on the island. We do need tourism. 90% of the people on the island depend on tourism. So there's no, it really makes no sense on, on our ideal the ideal society where we'd all uh, be no activity. That makes no sense. We do need jobs. But what we want is to have sustainable jobs, sustainable economic activity, so that really we can enjoy the kind of environment that we know that recovers fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, no humans is, uh, you know, quite
1: ridiculous. Clearly, that's never going to happen. And in sort of an island where it swells to, what, 10 or more times its size, uh, every single summer we know that that is not going to happen. But the the island has had an opportunity to reset um, and kind of take a deep breath, I think. Particularly, you know, July was really down on numbers that we normally would have seen, the chaos, the carnage, the, you know extremes, I think, that this island is pushed to in terms of its ability to cope. So I think, you know, for me, it feels like although August is now extremely busy, it does feel like there was a really good chunk of time where it normally would have been thrashed to its upper
0: extremes of, um,
1: yeah, sustainability.
0: And and I think we're thinking what kind of tourism we want. I mean, we, we are realizing that we can have more family tourism, more tourism based on uh, go diving, enjoying the beautiful sea, enjoying the beaches from another, it's not only night tourism. This island has have a lot of night tourism, which is good. I mean, the electronic music and it's a sector that of course has given a lot of opportunities, but from the environmental point of view well, it's not maybe the people that appreciate it most, <laughs> but we do have this <laughs> summer, l- <laughs> lots of people having, uh, renting villas and boats, etc. that are more directly in touch with the environment, they are realizing uh, how important it is, the beauty of it and of course, there's a lot of work to do in also teaching all those boats, Is it's the year that we have more boats, because people are feeling safer on boats than in hotels, But so we do have to be careful of course with them. People that dive on Posidonia which is this amazing plant that we need to to protect are not doing it because they want to destroy it they are doing it because they don't have information so our job is really to try to spread information to have so this app that uh, Manus and Felix these amazing biologists have developed to really try to get it to everybody so that people have information available Okay, so let's
1: just take you back there for one second. I saw a little a little sparkle in your eyes about the electronic music scene. Did you have a little party when it was announced that the clubs weren't opening this year?
0: Well, I'm not the best representative because I've been living on this island for 10 years and I haven't been in clubs. So I'm really, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, I do think that it's good to have both with a healthy balance. I'm not, I don't think it's... A, uh, healthy also to be like, oh no, no clubs, no electronic music. I do think that DJs, and, and we're actually thinking about a very interesting project with electronic uh, music and DJs, they, they are really um, speakers, uh, we really they, they can amplify the message. So if we have ambassadors, if we have people that reach so many young people, and with the right messages. If we could have uh, that sector going completely plastic-free, going completely electric cars, it's amazing. And they'll have a reach that we'll never have, but we, being a small NGO. uh, So we know that we need each other. We need to build specific alliances. But of course, it's more more than than being electronic music. It's more the uh, usually all that is with it, all no, that the, the young people drinking uh, on the streets and all that that usually are not those that are more concerned about the environment. So that that kind of tourism that hasn't uh, been in touch with nature or the environment uh, are not those that we think are bringing value added to the to the island. And that what we think is really what we want is to work with everybody that has an interest in understanding the beauty of the island. But of course you can enjoy night and then uh, be in a beautiful sea and a solar sun cream with a uh, filter that is uh, not mm, being toxic to the sea. So I, I think it, it is a bit dangerous and, and sometimes I have done it without being aware to kind of do the goods and the bads. No? We, we really have found amazing uh, our people that, that really are in, the, in these sectors that, are, that want to fight against uh, climate change, etc.
1: I mean, that has got to be a massive bonus that the clubs aren't opening this year. Of course, you can find ambassadors within the industry and people who have, you know, millions and millions of people in terms of reach. But equally, you must be, you've got this opportunity this year to take the whole year without that influx to, you know, really work out maybe how best to make that crowd a little bit more conscious, perhaps moving
0: into next year. It it is, and and as I said, I mean, we really are wanting to identify those DJs that are based on the island that that live here all year long, and try to make this sector working in favor of the environment. So, by building alliances, we're trying to find something that unites us. The example of the oil drilling really was an easy one because nobody on the island wanted oil drilling, but permits were given, so that. Uh, made us kind of united against Madrid, which were the authorities that had given the permits. It was an easy one, kind of, island against Madrid. Even if, if we hadn't started to unite us, nobody would have done it and the permit would have been given. So sometimes what I mean is that what now, going back to the situation now, what we see, for example, with the music industry, etc., is really that we have to find, to think out of the box by having everybody around the same table and not by pointing out, who is the bad at the picture, at the movie, you know, and who, who are the good and who are the bad guys. We really have to find a solution on how we want to develop the island, how we want to have the Ibiza brand that is so powerful linked to sustainability by having an electric car island, by having a 70% renewable energy island. We're now at 03 So we're very far from that goal but it can be done so we really need businesses citizens everybody working together and of course the music industry is an an essential uh, sector so that's why i'm a bit hesitant in pointing out and like no this year was better because we didn't have that industry i mean it will come back and we need them to work with us to find a sustainable solution so why are we
1: 70, you know, if 70% is the, is the prerequisite or the desired goal, why are we so low?
0: Where, how, what are we doing wrong? There was, for many years, there was a law in Spain that was completely crazy uh, that included a, soil, a tax to the sun. We call it impuesto al sol, tax to the sun, which is like... Come on! What are we talking about? We're having we had so much sun, but it was ridiculous, and it was uh, something that made many businesses and citizens going back. So we now all have, even if the law has changed, we now many people are kind of reluctant because they don't trust it anymore because we've been having legal changes uh, first government was saying, yes, go for it. Then the government changed and they stopped it. And now we have again another government saying, go for it. It creates uncertainty. And people, businesses that have to invest, are reluctant. Now there's two interesting projects. In 2022, we'll have two solar parks in Ibiza, which is good news. But there's small parks because one of the difficulties in Ibiza is, is that land being so expensive, because there's so many interesting uses for land, that putting big solar panels is difficult. So what we say is that, okay, we'll have these two solar, solar plants or farms that they call, that will be small, that will achieve 2% of solar energy for the island. But to get the 70 or 60 that we aim to, we, have, we need all citizens to install solar panels on the roofs. And that wouldn't be difficult because that prices have gone down of solar panels. So it is really the good moment to have a, a campaign for everybody to engage in having solar energy.
1: I can't believe they tried to tax the sun. How can you tax a natural resource?
0: It's really having, it's, it's political. I mean, they really didn't want people uh, going to kind of have a democracy on energy. So it was a way to have a control so that big electric companies could still um, have the monopoly, if you want, amongst four three four companies big companies on it so it was a way they would say well just in case you want they you need as well it was a big kind of in architecture uh, legal construction uh, because of course it was absurd but they managed and for five years uh, all the sector was completely stopped i'm absolutely disgusted
1: i really find that absolutely outrageous um just to be clear but um What about the tax on boats then? Because you just told me that there's much more boats out there to obviously, um, you know, people enjoy being on their boat rather than taking the risk of staying somewhere on land in a place that doesn't belong to them. Perhaps the cleaning procedure is not up to their standards. But ultimately, who gets the choice of going, oh, I think I might just stay on a boat this year instead, other than someone who's got lots of money. So now there was an increase, more boats you're saying this year, than ever before. So how is that allowed that people can suddenly just you know increase the traffic that we're seeing on our waters in in a place where obviously our water is probably our biggest selling point here in Ibiza is the fact that it's so clean and clear and full of this wonderful Posidonia that's probably I would imagine
0: in a month like this being damaged it, it's, it's been a big discussion. There's no way to uh, have a tax on people sailing. You have small boats, people have that have a boat forever. It doesn't mean that boats, it's just a rich people thing. You can rent a boat for three days and it's like your annual holiday. And So it's, it's, um, it's complex. And, and of course, uh, the, the impact of, of uh, sailing or, or just going on a boat is when you put your anchor. So we are really trying to have an island Um, anchoring mm, plan because what has happened is that maybe one municipality has decided San Antonio at the bay they've done a great job and they put some ecological moors but uh, ecological boys but then uh, okay those boats that are not in San Antonio bay anymore are moving to the next one so you need if you want to have to develop uh, a sustainable boating kind of scheme, you need really all the municipalities in Ibiza, which are five, to agree on a plan to have ecological voice, to really mm, reduce the number of boats on the island, because at some point, and it's it's happening in some islands in the Caribbean or other places in the world, maybe we achieve a point where we we should say no more boats this year. We we have the number of boats, uh, it's reached. I mean, it's like the carrying capacity of our coast, and it doesn't happen so far. Now nobody is really putting any limit on the number of boats that we can have, and and the problem is when you put your anchor because the the marinas, the, the kind of clubs where, where you pay to to put your boat, uh, are full in July and August, and are very expensive. So many people are putting are, are anchoring in the little bays in Talamancá or in Playa de or in, in some beaches, and of course that that has an impact on Posidonia because many people don't have information on how valuable and important these plants that we have that is really amazing and so they just think oh well there's something dark it's algae or whatever and they just throw the anchor and they damage it so that's the the work that slowly we're we're trying to do but we should we have and we need any help and for sure communication media are are, are very important and we thank you for the time for this because Mm -hmm. we need really everybody to understand that Posidonia is very important and that nobody should be anchoring on it only anchoring on sand i think you are probably the perfect person
1: I, I lead hikes for retreat groups and and clients that that visit me here sometimes and you know i always talk about the posidonia in my own words but i'd like to hear it in an expert's words mm-hmm. what does posidonia do for Ibiza, and how does it work to improve the quality of our water
0: well first of all i mean from a very selfish point of view that the turquoise transparent amazing water we have is thanks to Posidonia, so it filters. It really manages to have this very transparent water that we have in Ibiza. That, that just crossing and in Costa Oraba in, in the mainland in Spain, the water is different. I mean, really the transparency is thanks to, to Posidonia because this plant really helps filtering all the particles that are in suspension so that's like the first benefit for everybody that is swimming and that really see so many meters when you dive or when you have your snorkel and, uh, and that's amazing. Then from a biodiversity point of view of course it, it is like sheltering lots of species because you have uh, little mm, hidden spots for uh, little fish and little organisms so, so it's really the home of many other species so even if you see it as a plant it really holds many, a lot of life in it and thirdly, and, and most imp- uh, very important too, is uh, really they, they help us with climate change because they absorb more CO2 than forest. I mean, a meter of Posidonia is much higher and uh, more intensive than a meter of forest. So we all think of protecting trees, which of course is essential for uh, absorbing CO2 and, and not having climate change. But Posidonia has that uh, value and, uh, and it's essential. So it's what we call blue carbon. And we're really working in, in uh, promoting and, and protecting and even having the calculations so that we can also compensate, for example, our flights with blue carbon so that we know that, OK, I'm coming to Ibiza so I can uh, compensate the tons, the equivalent of the tons of uh, uh, CO2 equivalent when, when I fly with my plane by protecting Posidonia. Well, I'm absolutely
1: delighted I asked that question Mm. because I didn't know all of that. And um, how clever is Posidonia? That's kind of unbelievably amazing. I already knew that it was like, yeah, very intrinsic to the health and happiness of the island. But that's um, unbelievable. And, you know, the last time we did this podcast, um, sorry, you looked like you wanted to add something. No,
0: because one thing that people don't believe, but it is true, is also that it is the most ancient and biggest organism in the world which is amazing. I mean, you look it at the internet and, and then you have this data and you say, well, maybe something, someone has made it up. And I've asked very experienced biologists with PhDs on this matter and it actually is. It's, a, uh, it's the most ancient like, living organism and the one between Ibiza and Formentera is the biggest living organism in the planet. No mm. way. Amazing. <laughs> So let's put our anchors on the sand.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I know that you have a map of the Posidonia on your website. So if people aren't really sure where they can and can't anchor, they can't actually go and double check before they go out and do something they shouldn't.
0: And they can download the app, which is for free, uh, both for Amazon, for Android and for uh, Mac. So, so really there are tools. Uh, so if you have your boat, you can be sure that you're captain, even if you're chartering, to be sure that where you have your boat, the, the, the map, the app would say if it's red on Posidonia or if it's green because there's sand. And, and something I would add too, I mean, because to protect Posidonia, of course, anchors are a big threat. But the second is the dirty water. So we all also have to know... That of course when we talk about dirty water, the biggest problem is the big infrastructure, so what the sewage plants. This is exactly what was going to be my next
1: question, Mm -hmm. because the last time we had this chat we went quite deep into the topic of um, poo. And we did discuss where those points were on the island, where perhaps the water is not as sanitary as we would like. For example, Talamanca, and then we also discovered, or I personally discovered, there's another spot over here, quite close to Santilalia that you suggested that perhaps it wouldn't be a great place we thought for children to swim, or anyone to swim really, because in those peak months of July and August when the population swells, you know, that is becoming a massive issue. Now I'm absolutely intrigued. Um there's two questions I have, I'm gonna ask you the second one. But you know, what is is that problem reduced because of the lockdown and the fact that we've not obviously had as many people here.
0: Yes. First of all, going back to the boat just to finish that idea because it does link. Sometimes we think, oh this uh, sewage issue is only related to hotels or to big infrastructure, but I would also want to insist that even if you go out on a boat for a day and it's a charter, you can insist and you can ask that the dirty water being discharged at the harbour and not in the middle of the sea. because boats never go so far so in the middle of the sea is not so far from another beach mm-hmm. and most likely that dirty water it's nutrients for fish but before it's dirty so it's better that, that we all are aware and we ask our captains or, uh, or that we are aware that, that we, there's something we can all do to avoid because discharging at a good place at the harbour is for free if, if you're anchored there and, and we should use it but in answering your question of course this year it's going to be less bad in terms of less uh, hotels and big numbers of people on the island, so uh, th- the plants, the, the sewage plants have been done for a number of people, so the capacity to treat it works when we are under that number of people so most likely, we don't have the numbers yet, but most likely this season is going to be less in terms of numbers of people, so most likely the capacity of the plants won't have been like passed, uh, also good news are we are working with the Balearic government and uh, we have we have conversations and we know that there is a plan uh, they call it plan de saneamiento so like really sanitation plan and uh, they're going to be presenting it at the marine forum that we're doing in november and there's a commitment from the Balearic government in Mallorca to renew all the plans and there's dates and there's a kind of mm, calendar because it's big investment we're talking about, but they're very aware and they have committed to doing the, the necessary works. We will will see in, in November when and where, but they are aware and there's more transparency and conversations are easier with the government. So I think the work we're doing with the Water Alliance and, and the work that really... Uh, from the beta preservation and others we've been promoting is giving some results in terms of uh, not so much secrecy and they owe the citizens to really say okay this is bad but we're going to change it when we're investing what so i think that's kind of good news that we can share but
1: why is it taking this long it's really like ridiculous i'm sorry i mean this is great news i'm not going to deny it but ultimately it is been way too long coming
0: it's all about money of course and and where you put your priorities and uh, the Balearic government um, has, I mean, Ibiza one, but you have Mallorca, Menorca, etc. Lots of situations like this. I mean, all the plans were done in the 60s, 70s, so they're getting old at the same time. And they have to decide on where they put their money. And this, for years, hasn't been so sexy as doing a maritime uh, walk or like a conference center or everything that means opening pipes and changing infra- this kind of hard infrastructure hasn't been uh, winning, winning votes. No, hasn't been interesting for the politicians. It's, uh, it's absurd because it's first, and that's why it's so important that civil society and organizations like the ones that us and a of others that work with us at the, at the Water Alliance, put, put this, move this topic high in the agenda, in the press, so that they cannot uh, avoid it. Because, or else, of course, it is important, but not urgent. They feel it's not urgent because it's only a little bit, but they deny the figures being bad. They do their own analysis and they say, well, it's not so bad. And then another year has passed. It's like maybe 15 days when there's a peak of tourism. So that's that's why it's important to have civil society lobbying and, and putting this topic high in the agenda. I know it looks absurd because it should be a first priority, but I would say that much money has been spent in other things that for us weren't so important and for them were more important.
1: Yeah, to get more tourists in, to make more money and to increase probably their wages. But ultimately, you know, what's most important to the residents of Ibiza and why do some of the people that live here all year round hate tourists? Because it causes a lot of problems. And number one is the fact that there is more sewage being pumped into the waters in places that are probably on their doorstep. When I cycle from here to where I used to live on the road towards San Carlos and through the countryside, the smell, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. It was horrendous just by sort of Calapada, Niblao, around that neck of the woods. The smell was disgusting and I'm not smelling that this year and I'm also not smelling it down by Talamanca on that last little roundabout before you join Uh, the turn-off that would have gone to Jesus and you carry on towards Santiago there, right there, you didn't even need to open the car window. The smell was unbelievable. And that is also not happening this year. So I'm really glad, obviously, that lockdown has obviously had such a positive thing. And now perhaps we could be on the cusp of actually getting this problem rectified in the long term. But even if they win that whole scenario in November, how long before we actually get action so that that is kind of, you know, sorted? (laughs) Lady walking about 15 dogs, as you do in Ibiza, 15, maybe 14. Um, So, yeah, how long before that could possibly be actually properly fixed?
0: I think it's a process. It won't be done from one day to the other. We will know, like, okay, maybe the the depuradora, the the one you mentioned in Talamanca is the one that that sources Ibiza, the depuradora de Ibiza, and that's, of course... It has the, it's like the first priority and which is very sad and I was talking to the mayor last week for another issue and, and he mentioned it it cannot happen that they tell us that works are going to take for three years, I mean that project is approved in Sacoma, so the new depuradora is going ha- is, is to be put in Sacoma it's going to be much bigger it's a bit absurd, the place they've chosen, because it's up a hill, so they have to use energy to take it up, to take all this dirty water up, and then, but because nobody, the NIMBY effect, not in my backyard, not, but nobody wants to have a, a, a kind of, these treatment plants close to, so it's been difficult, it's been for years. No shit. No, <laughs> nobody wants <laughs> shit on that. But, so they've chosen this place, they have it, they have the money, but still they say, now it's three years to build it. Just like, why? And, uh, So the the mayor, so you have like three levels of authority, the mayor, the conseil, the the government in Baleares, and and sometimes national government. So that also makes bureaucracy. uh. But I think there is, of course, uh, awareness in politicians that this is a priority, and we are all going to be pushing and and following it to be sure that instead of three years, maybe in two years, they can have this new plan done. So what I mean with processes that they're starting with Ibiza, then with this plan, they're going to show us where are the priorities, where if Portinage if Santa Eulalia, if what are the, the ones that have more problems? And they'll be giving us, as I say, like a plan when and what is going to be done. But at least it gives a roadmap. And then it's up to all of us to put pressure so that this becomes a priority. And if it can be done faster, even better. Mm.
1: OK, well, I think we'll move on from, from the poo chat now. I think we've covered that one in, in full depth and breadth. Um, I'd like to ask you about the fact that perhaps... Now, this is my little theory, and I really want uh, your opinion on this, because you're like the David Attenborough of Ibiza, (laughs) uh, in my mind anyway. And is the fact that there is less sewage in the water the reason we are seeing less jellyfish? That's my question, because I'm like, where please don't think that I missed them but where, where are the jellyfish this year normally July and August are no go zones in the sea for me because I'm petrified of them and I swear to god I've been in the sea regularly and I haven't seen a single one since I got
0: back on the 2nd of July please tell us I wish I was David. I mean, (laughs) my knowledge is much less. But I do try to talk to people that know much more, and and nobody really knows. It is a very interesting question. I also was asking myself. These days, I was talking to a lady that said, well, I was at this other beach before, and they were there. So there have been some, but of course much less. I think it is related to having less nutrients in the water. So as you say, I mean, like having less food (laughs) uh, is attracting them less. The temperature of the water, of course, is also essential. They like hot water, so the fact that uh, we are not, we haven't been putting pressure for some months, because when you have more activity, one way or the other, the temperature is also going up. So by not having anybody and uh, that the water temperature, uh, there's some people really following it, and it is increasing, of course, because of climate change. But this summer is less hot than that summer. So that I also think is a factor, and of course there's turtles, but I, I wouldn't be able I wouldn't say that we have more turtles this year. I mean I I'm not I haven't seen them, and I haven't seen any paper. But that could be another reason. I mean if because of not having so much activities, there's more turtles. Turtles eat, it's jellyfish, but I wouldn't think that that is a ma- major determinant because there should be a lot of turtles, and we would have seen them to so really have an influence on on not seeing jellyfish, no. So, I, I, I think that there's a combination, but of course, it's not a coincidence that last year there's less. So, it has to be linked to human activity so in a way we've done something better (laughs) and that's why we have less jellyfish this year and yeah let's enjoy it listen I'm, i'm really you know
1: i can't there's one thing that i wish this planet didn't have and there's not many times i wish that but that is definitely mosquitoes and jellyfish i could just seriously do without but my other theory or the one that i've been asking um a lot of people about this because it you know it's really interesting is maybe it was because um the the fishing Industry was reduced during lockdown, they weren't allowed to out to fish. And someone said it was because there was less tuna caught, and tuna eat jellyfish. Now, I mean, that would have to be a lot of tuna, but then is there any kind of truth in that sort of theory? Do you think
0: it could be? I, mean, I think there's always a lot of causes and a lot of factors that add, no? So, like more turtles, more tuna, more it all adds, maybe not just tunas, because uh, there were. Some weeks where they weren't allowed to fish, but then they were fishing again because food was one of the sectors that was allowed. So, uh, so it hasn't stopped for a long time. It really stopped only for a, a few, uh, not, not even I don't know weeks, because really food is always essential. In fact, what I know is that there had there was for some weeks that fishermen were having problems because they didn't, they were not selling as much because of the places being closed to sell. And then we also helped finding tunnels such as with local produce, to be sure that people could receive fresh uh, farming or fishing produce. So, so I know they, they were working uh, during the crisis too, because as, as you know, trucks and everything related to food was, not, uh, was, was considered first priority.
1: OK, well, that's that's good to know and quite intriguing. But I know that you wanted to sort of talk to me about the, the food product angle, because obviously you do have uh, Ibiza produce as well, which is, uh, you know, another very, very intrinsic and important part of what the Ibiza Preservation Fund do. Keeping food local, not imported and obviously, you know, pesticide free where possible and healthy and um, with zero kilometres travelled. Now, what was the impact
0: of Covid on that particular scenario? Yes, very often when we think about Ibiza, we think about the sea, which is what we've been talking about and is, of course, amazingly beautiful. But as beautiful as the sea, at least to me is the land in Ibiza, and you know, all these beautiful almond trees, carrot trees, fig trees, olive trees, and, and we just have some beautiful olive trees here also today. So by, doing, by promoting uh, Ibiza produce, w- uh, we want to achieve two objectives. Of course, as you say, having healthy uh, produce available, but from an environmental point of view, also preserving the landscape, the beautiful mosaic of crops that we that was in the past, the way it looked. And because of tourism, many people left the countryside and then we only have pines, which may look nice, but if we have a fire, it's very dangerous when you only have one type of trees, really the fire would run us crazy. So by having uh, more local produce, we're also taking care of the lands because we're really going into diversity. So we've been working with farmers, and uh, the beautiful uh, in the in the bad prices that we've lived has been that people wanted to buy local because there's more nutrients, because it's, as you say, kilometer zero, it's healthy. So there's been a a very important increase in the number of uh, people going to these farms to buy or getting delivered at home. So we're very glad, farmers are happy, and uh, even if restaurants or hotels went down uh, in terms of buying local produce, the total production has gone up. So that means that really personal consumption has been compensating for some of the hotels being closed. I mean, numbers after the crisis went a bit down, but they have recovered, and now it seems that people really are committed in, into buying local. We're talking to chefs uh, that are helping us, help chefs that are in restaurants open all year long, like David Rearte, that are really doing an extra effort and the extra mile to ensure that everything that is at the restaurant is local and organic.
1: I love that, though, because basically, you know, how did the rest of the population compensate for hotels not being open? That's because we didn't stop eating during lockdown. Everyone gained about five or six kilos <laughs> that I've seen. And everyone was just cooking. There was a Facebook group that started up called Beat the Cookdown. And it was just people posting stuff of what they've been baking and making. And I thought that was really beautiful, actually. It was a wonderful thing that came out of all that, was that people were getting very, very creative in their culinary um endeavors and i thought that was you know what a
0: nice use of time uh, apart from the fact that obviously no one can fit into their jeans anymore (laughs) yes and and i think now i mean of course there's a lot of bread etc with and that you can do with bloodshed that is a variety a special wheat that is amazing from the island but now i mean it's not only calorie now we have amazing fruits and vegetables and and i see families going to the farm and picking their box or even, as I said during the lockdown, having these deliveries, we put in place a system with green delivery, so that we uh, really help families to, to eat healthy. Because we we do sometimes think that, um, yeah, that I mean vegetables. I mean, we have to remember that even in the worst situations, even in in these uh, food banks that um, have been put in place, where they give sugar and rice and and some just boxes of products i mean this is not healthy so what we have also done is to ensure that these people that are in need and need to go to these food banks receive fresh vegetables as part of the packages that that they're getting
1: that is so important and you know basically i feel like if you want to eat healthily in ibiza it's not cheap that is just a fact i mean the passion cafe we love it you know great great spot incredible food wonderful produce very high quality but it's not cheap to go there. And the same as if you want to go to the organic farmer's uh, market and get the best possible um, produce, you're going to have to pay a fair whack, whereas opposed to going to the likes of Orozki, Mercadona, cheap as chips, not good... Not good good news but you know why should the people that go to the food bank i guess have to eat
0: <laughs>
1: hashtag only in spain man honest blower love that um and i think you know it is cheap to eat nasty food i mean you walk into to any of those places and and you know the real white bread um and that kind of thing is like, well, I love the fact that the Spanish white bread over here is called bimbo, because I really do believe you'd have to be one to actually want to eat that stuff. It's just not full of anything that you should be putting in your person. But I feel like it's kind of fascinating. This is, you know, it's not just a beef that's like that. But, you know, if you really want to get your cheap weekly shop done, you're not going to go to the places where the best kind of food is. So, A, I think it's highly commendable that you're taking that on board and you want to provide people that need the food the best you can. But B, you know, well, how do you
0: feel about that cheap cheap stuff that's imported in the supermarkets? I think it's also a matter of priorities. I mean, of course, if you have a family of seven, I mean, maybe you cannot do all your shopping in the organic food um, shop. But we were talking vegetables. We're oh, the lady with her 14 dogs is back.
1: <laughs> seven those, dogs. Oh, seven. seven. She's probably lost,
0: lost a few along the way. and They fell in the water. So I really think it is an issue and, and we're very aware. But it's difficult one because also it's a matter of volumes. So if if you go to a shop that is or a cafe, I mean, and they don't have a big volume, maybe they're increasing produce, uh, prices and they're targeting a certain segment of the market. If you go directly to the farm, first the prices are cheaper than if you go to a shop. Of course, you have one less intermediate uh, person. Uh, So I really recommend uh, going to the farms if possible. We have a map in the website of Ibiza Produce with all the farms in Ibiza, telephone numbers, because they're not always there. So it's better to call and have an appointment. So first of all that. And second, I think it's a matter of priorities, because if you go to the farm, okay, maybe the tomatoes are a bit more expensive than those that come from uh, Andalucía or Almería, but then uh, maybe you can avoid uh, having a gin tonic in a bar and you're putting your priority into buying organic kilometer zero food because we also need to pay fairly this farmer that, is, that has a small production cannot compete in price with someone in Almeria that has a wide enormous farm or, and, and has bad working conditions for people so of course then they get a lower price but that, those are not the conditions we want. We want our local farmers to be well paid to have a, a, a sense of pride to be really saying because that's what happened some farmers quit it when tourism was a boom because they said oh no working at the farm is not good economically socially and we want this to change so we need to give a a fair price well it's just
1: sustainability you mean no one's going to want to do something that is too many ups and downs and they don't feel valued ultimately we have to make them a priority because they are the ones providing you know what this island needs and really you know apart from being a DJ or a yoga teacher I would say this island is probably in third place full of chefs so you know there's a lot of families here that like to come here and get themselves a private chef in the summertime and you know they have big budgets and I would imagine that actually those farms oh for goodness this woman really (laughs) needs to get those little creatures under control (laughs) I think they're just talking to each other. Um, I think you know. Surely they must have big, big budgets. Those guys. That you know, money is no question. We know that for those kinds of families. But you know, it's it's only a few months of the year, perhaps, that maybe business is booming for them. And I also heard a rumor that um, one of the big farms not so far from here kind of didn't have enough. People wanted a box delivery, but there wasn't enough food last summer to actually even put that together because they had had a bit of a, a drought or maybe just hadn't been able to create
0: enough to meet demand. That's why it's so important and that's what Ibiza Produce also is is trying to help doing is to put all these farmers again (laughs) in alliances, in in networks so that if your usual farm has not enough production because maybe they have more clients and the year hasn't been I mean farming is not science i mean it really you depend on climate you depend on the soil you depend on so many factors that also as clients we have to be a bit flexible and understand well maybe this farm has less so maybe i have this other option and and there's enough now there's a list 30 40 small organic and and local farms different uh, doing the great job some of them planting more of these others planting more of that so that also they can complement each other because if we also have zucchinis at the same time i mean then there's going to be lots of zucchinis but maybe not enough tomatoes so that's that needs coordination and that needs uh, a lot of work and we also have to consider that um, many of these farmers are not full-time because they've been uh, for a long time they had another job and now they're kind of transitioning so they have like a part-time and they're doing other things and really that's what we want to do to help them um, professionalizing to to really but really i want to 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 change the idea that organic local farming is only for rich people it shouldn't be really if if you go to the farms if you have a, a very direct relation to your farmer i mean you'll see that that you can l- get lower prices than if you go to this little shop in, in your town that is doing a great job but that of course because of volume has lower prices.
1: <laughs> oh, I do love sitting under this olive tree in Santilalia right by the fountain. We had to move out of the Passion Cafe because of the cars but now we have wonderful dogs and actually boats. There's been quite a lot of noise actually. In fact I've seen I can see just from sitting where we're perched under this olive tree by the seafront um, at least 10 10 or more boats actually out on the water so that there really does feel like there's been an increased traffic. I want to go back to the car story because we are parked by the electric charger. There is a car actually on charge as we speak. You know, what is the future? Because I, I there's one thing that really bugs me on this island and I currently don't have a car and I'm delighted about that fact because the ITV, which is the equivalent to an MOT, for example, in England to make your car roadworthy to check it safe is impossible to get your car in there because there's always a waiting list that's as long as your arm and it's really irritating so my question is you know presumably if that was an electric car situation it might be a little bit different and the main reason it's impossible to get an itv is because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of rental cars here in the summer to meet that demand oh my god these dogs really so sandra is just back from uh, being a complete hero and um (laughs) getting rid of those dogs wow Never heard dogs bark quite so loudly. So, Sandra, we were talking about the electric car situation. We're watching this sort of little Tonka toy thing being charged up behind us. And it's it's not very attractive. It's not very appealing. I can't imagine a lot of people in Ibiza who are quite concerned about material possessions uh, would be that interested in driving well of course you've got people like Elon Musk developing these super sexy electric cars which you know are probably out of the price range of many people but well, there's a lot of benefits to having an electric car situation on this island not number one obviously being the lack of having to probably have an ITV but you know
0: what would that obviously do for the island? Well, yeah, the government is trying to to give benefits. So you have uh, fiscal tax benefits. You don't have to pay when you park. I think really that helps. (laughs) <laughs> so we do i really am very positive about thinking that the island in five years will have changed a lot because we we'll, we are having the car industry developing lots of different models so there'll be um, models available for different prices so y- we do need the teslas for like the ce- these celebrities that want to be like leading by example others copying and following but we also need the more cheap affordable cars for a second hand once we have a market of of cars on the island the island has the perfect size really Ibiza could be an electric car island because you charge your car at night at home and then you can drive you can all day and you won't finish your energy so really I think it's a perfect size and, and the perfect island to have this this model the electric car industry. (laughs)
1: Will electric cars, yeah, stop the sort of uh, people going for walks with their dogs? That's the question. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I want to finish on one final question. We are sitting under a beautiful olive tree, which you're telling me is not actually a real one because I know that there's a lot of imports of olive trees on this island. But it kind of, you know, I had a bit of a thing happen to me the other day. I was out for one of these monumental bike rides, which is my new favourite thing to do. And basically, I was kind of like flying around a corner at quite great speed and I caught something out of the corner of my eye. And when I looked down, as I sort of flew past this um, section of road, there was an actual snake under the wheels of my tires. Now, not a small snake, not a medium sized snake. This was like the biggest snake I've ever seen. About, I would say about two meters. I'm not even
0: kidding. Well, the good news is that the snakes we have on Ibiza will never bite you. Not all of them are so big as the ones you saw. Usually they're kind of average one meter, but it is an issue because we never had snakes on the island, so there's no, uh, they, they have no enemies because we have imported them in olive trees. People are building these big houses and they have a garden like in five minutes and they don't allow trees to grow and they want to, so they import uh, big trees and very often olive trees bring inside, they have these big holes and they bring snakes. They reproduce very fast and that's why in some years we've had these. uh, huge population of snakes that we never had and they're eating lizards which are endemic and so really it is a problem for other species it's not a problem for us except of the (laughs) maybe you can can be a bit scary but the way the government is trying to solve the the problem with some kind of traps at home with a little mouse is really maybe the problem is bigger than the solution so we need to find another solution. I
1: don't think traps with Little Mice is really going to chew up a two-metre-long snake. I mean, I'd like to see that, to be honest with you. That could be a, a great little specimen of, uh, of activity in the nature of this island. But I just, I don't know, it just, it really shocked me. I mean, I was literally shaking, and I could not believe my eyes. Now, you know, when I had a house right out in the campo, when I had my big um, yoga retreat house... You know, I saw those little brown snakes that you were talking about that gets imported on these olive trees from the mainland. But, you know, I haven't seen a snake. I mean, I've heard about them, people having them in the pool or whatever. But that was a
0: big boy. Yeah, they're growing. <laughs> and so those that we saw two years ago, smaller, now are growing. And yeah, and I've also say, heard of someone having one at home. They, they just have the door open and they got in. And it's very scary. but I insist, we've never heard of any snake biting because it's a species that is not dangerous or bad for us. But, I mean, really local government, this is Balearic government area of, of work, they are aware they're trying to find solutions but it's not easy because uh, you don't want to put poison you don't want to put some solutions would be worst for the ecosystem and for other species so as I say they're doing these traps that were for smaller ones and uh, and they're aware but of course the best solution we think is would be to to put a control at source so that every tree that is imported and that comes in in the island is controlled but that is not happening yet so we're still pushing for that to happen so, so that at least we would avoid more snakes to come in but those that are already on the island would need to be trapped I got to say that this chap was pretty invincible because I saw a car run over it right after
1: me, and he still wiggled off into the woods like nothing—nothing was breaking that boy. He was like the most resistant, bulletproof man on the face of this planet. And I was like, "God, wow!" You know, any any lesser man would have been uh, out of action forever, but no, he just like
0: nothing had happened. He just like continued on his merry journey. You need a machete. You need a knife. I know. I mean, someone told me that. Yeah, that they. But of course, not everybody wants to. Get a, a big knife, Fernando, and uh, for a snake. But they do. They, yeah, I, I can. Uh, if next time you take your big knife for bread and you try with it, and they will be invincible. So there are solutions. But yeah, I'm aware. I'm very concerned, and it is very. I mean, we're very very concerned for lizards because lizards are also very important for against mosquitoes. Every species has a role and these snakes have just appeared on the island so they're kind of breaking the natural soup.
1: Well, I'm I'm glad I asked that question anyway. It sounds like something is being done, but it's, um, yeah, it just, yeah, it's actually kind of uh, been my last waking thought before going to sleep at bedtime. Like, oh my God, can you imagine? But um, (laughs) I do live in an apartment. I'm pretty sure they can't get into places like that. I don't have one of those houses anymore that's like old wooden beams and, you know, too many cracks underneath the door. It's like pretty safe. So that's good. But um, I just wanted to mention it. Sandra, I know you've got to rush off. I'm so grateful that you decided to make this decision to come here today and we've changed locations we've had dogs we've had boats we've had you know cars and crashing plates but you know it's been a pleasure as always and I hope to catch you back on the Reset Rebel very soon
0: and this ah. is Evita this is the beauty of a, a summer here and we have <laughs> being in the street is always amazing thank you for your time and your interest in this outfit see you soon Sandra thank you so much thank you Reset Rebel it's the Reset Rebel it's the Reset Rebel Preset Rebel Coming to you every day